perfect example. One of the things that we found, you know, we looked at 37 uh, state employees who had applied for unemployment. And we found, I think, if I remember correctly, I think there were 16 of those that, uh, that just of that sample, we don't know there may be more, uh, that receiving unemployment that weren't supposed to. 10 of those were from the Office of Unemployment Insurance who knew better. And that we found 10 that had acted from the Office of Unemployment Insurance not only applied for it when they were not supposed to, they also accessed their own claims even though they were specifically trained not to access their own claims. And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooperetter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperetter. And today we have uh, State Auditor Mike Harmon here with us to discuss uh, what just what the auditor does, his term in office, and what he's been seeing here recently. And of course, we'll probably have some fun talking about a number of other items. But before we dig into that, please like, comment, share, subscribe. If you're listening to this on Facebook or YouTube or Rumble or Twitter, and you want to be able to take it on the go and listen in your car, as always, you can listen on any major podcasting platform. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, really just any choice you want to listen to there. And if you can't find us on somewhere, let me know and I'll make sure we get there. But without further ado, we have Auditor uh, Harmon here with us. Auditor, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Andrew? Awesome. I can't complain. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a very busy time. You're very busy in general, but thank you for giving me and constituents some time to hear from you. Well, you are welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your constituents. They vote for you, too. Yeah, they vote for you, too. There you go. Exactly. So uh, first, for anybody who's confused, what is it that if is, I guess, in a few minutes, as best you can, uh, describe what the auditor does? Well, a lot of times when you say the auditor, people kind of freak out a little bit. It's like, well, I paid my taxes, so don't worry about it. And it's like, no, that's not what we do. Uh, we're actually the people's auditor. We make sure that government or do the best we can to make sure government is efficient, effective, and ethical. Uh, for instance, we audit, of course, every year, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, here in a little bit, I think, but we audit the state uh, every year. Uh, basically, the uh, the executive branch puts out uh, what's known as the annual comprehensive financial report. We audit that and then uh, we issue a letter on that, but we also issue uh, two audit reports, uh, the statewide single audit of Kentucky, volume one and volume two. Volume one deals more specifically with the financial statement and controls. Volume two uh, deals more with federal compliance, but that's not all we do. We also uh, audit counties. Uh, we audit fiscal courts. Uh, now, for fiscal courts, we uh, they have to have an audit, financial statement audit, every year. But we ourselves will generally do that audit once every three, once every four years. Uh, we audit the sheriffs and the county clerks every year. We audit. Um, we have a special exam uh, division where we do special exams. For instance. Uh, One of the first ones that I did when I uh, entered the auditor's office was the Kentucky Law Enforcement Foundation Program Fund to make sure that top tax dollars that are intended for law enforcement uh, actually make it to law enforcement. And we also did the uh, University of Louisville governance exam of the University of Louisville Foundation and the University of Louisville. So we've been very busy uh, with everything. But as I said, uh, we are the people's auditor. So you've, you don't just do money. You also make sure that places follow the law too, as well. Um, especially process law. And I know there's been a few times where that's happened over the last you've, you're coming up on the end of your term. You've been in for almost eight years now. I've gone by fast. (laughs) What is, uh, what has been the most shocking thing your office has uncovered in your opinion since you've been there well there's so many you know we when we did the uh, government good. Thing with the, i don't do think I, what we want to hear let me say what's the most shocking thing you're like so many oh my so god many. well you know <laughs> most people and I, i've said this before 95 percent of the people that we audit if they do have a finding 
uh, it's usually more along the lines of, like you said, a, a process law where maybe they're not following good controls or not following something like that. But, you know, we have found people that, for lack of a better word, have been stealing. Uh, but some of the one things that shocked me, like when we did the University of Louisville governance exam to have a billion dollar foundation, uh, not have a budget to actual, uh, you know, our church was a smaller church. We have a budget to actual, so you would think that they would, uh, they didn't do any training for their board members. So for those of you who don't, for those of, of our listeners that don't understand the lingo there, um, I know I hear that. And I yes. hear a billion dollar organization doesn't budget their money. Um, but can you elaborate exactly on why that's so shocking? Well, it, it's, sho- it's shocking because, you know, whenever you're doing budgets, obviously you, you have a breakdown of your expenses. You have a breakdown of your expected revenues. Uh, and, and as you go through month by month by month, you've got to compare those. Uh, because if you spend too much money, well, you're going to run out of money. Sure. You know, uh, but also if there's things that you need that you're supposed to purchase with that, that you don't, well, that can be problematic as well. So uh, that was concern uh, when we did the uh, special exam of uh, county attorneys, which when I came in, we are not uh, mandated. We can, but we're not mandated uh, to do uh, audit county attorneys. But I've had a lot of people over the years have concerns and say, well, why don't y'all go in and audit county attorneys? So we did do a special exam of county attorneys. Uh, we, we picked nine. We started with a survey of 16. We picked nine. We went in and did the special exam. We had three uh, referrals of offices. They weren't all the county attorney themselves, uh, but three uh, county attorneys there. One of them was, uh, and this is the one I always use when people say, oh, you're elected as a Republican. The only thing you do is you know, uh, uh, attack Democrats. Well, that's what we don't attack anybody. We just follow the data, but uh, we have had referrals on Republicans and Democrats alike. And one of those was uh, former Lawrence County attorney referrals, uh, referrals to law enforcement. They okay, can't be so other things. It, it can be treasury. It can be, uh, you know, other okay, things. So that's but, when you find they've done something wrong that needs yes. to be elevated beyond saying, Hey, you need to get this fixed. It's right. crossing into a realm of possibly criminal behavior. Exactly. Now, sometimes okay. we do a referral and nothing happens, but uh, a lot of times it does. So, for instance, in this particular case, we referred it to the FBI. FBI did further investigation and uh, they ended up finding, um, I, I think, I think by the time it was done, they found even more because we only did two years and they went uh, further back. Uh, the What we found was that the uh, county attorney or former county attorney uh, was basically providing his uh, wife with $60,000 a year plus bonuses on top of her $40,000 a year salary. So the county attorney yes, hired his wife yes, and paid her $40,000 a year salary yes, and then paid her another $60,000 a year in bonuses. Yes, which... There's so many problems with that. The, the first one being... <laughs> really? Yes, yes. I know it's hard to believe, but that is hard to believe. But, you know, for instance, Section 3 of the Kentucky Constitution prohibits bonuses anyway. There's a few exceptions because it's supposed to be, uh, you know, specifically for work and planned out. But you're, you're not... The interpretation of the Section 3 of the Kentucky Constitution is bonuses are not to be paid. So that in and of itself was problematic. Then, obviously, paying his wife so much. Now, what is interesting, he also paid just a little bit uh, of bonuses to some of his other staff. But by comparison, all the bonuses he paid out during that two-year period, 94% of them went to his wife. So, for instance, there was one assistant county attorney that got a little over, I think it was $2,100, maybe $2,200 in that same two-year period. And another county attorney. What was his wife's title? Let's see. I think she was like the office secretary was her title so she wasn't an assistant county attorney she was she was she was just basically an office uh assistant office secretary uh but he said that her work was invaluable which you know 
Might have been. But well, apparently it's worth about a hundred grand. He put a price on it, clearly. Yes. <laughs> well, now, now the one thing that I didn't cover was when the FBI looked at it, they went further back. I didn't mention that, but I didn't mention what they found. They actually found like $373,000. Uh, and then they also found that he had been over. How long? How, over how long? I think they went back to 2013, I think. So it was like 2013 to... Probably twenty. I think at that time it was probably we. I think we went through like twenty twenty one. So eight or nine year period, maybe a little less. Okay, uh, so in in eight to nine years, less than yeah. ten years. Yes, he had paid. Yes, over three hundred thousand dollars. Yes, almost four. Almost four hundred thousand dollars to his wife. Yes, and bonuses from the taxpayer. And bonuses on top of her salary. On top of her forty thousand a year salary. Yes. Now, after that referral, the FBI also did some additional digging, and they also found that he was basically, not basically, he was uh, overbilling child support because, you know, generally not all, but most county attorneys actually do the child support enforcement. Uh, yeah, and then they, they collect a finder's fee off that enforcement. Well, generally, most well, an administrative fee, I guess, an administrative it, right? fee. That's actually the the child support uh, enforcement is actually paid through federal dollars, which is still your tax dollars. But through right. you know federal dollars, whereas the child support they recover, actually, all of that is supposed to go to the person that's supposed to receive it. Okay, gotcha. So, so yeah. they the office is in charge of collecting it. Their bills are paid for by the federal government, and then the person they're supposed to give it to, all the money they receive is supposed to go to the mother. Correct. But they were over or, fa or father. It's general or father. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But they over they 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 would jack up the numbers and then shave a little off the top. No, they would jack up the number of hours. They would turn oh in okay because they were paid by the number of hours by the federal government to the federal government. Yes. And so they were they were stealing from the federal government. Yes, which means they're stealing from you and I. Yeah. So that once again, I mean, <laughs> rigmarole, they're stealing yes. from us one way or another. Yes. Um, but so he, on top of the bonuses, he was then stealing from the federal government and us yes. um, by overcharging hours to collect child support. Was this to make his books work for how much money he was paying his, his wife? It was uh, basically to no. I mean, the, the bonuses he was paying his wife was actually coming out uh, of other areas that he was collecting. Uh, you know, tax dollars in that regards, you know, collections on certain things, co-checks. Maybe, maybe we're just giving our county attorneys too much money. I mean, he's if they've got it laying around where nobody noticed for 10 years that he's shaving, you know, 400K in bonuses plus salary. So that's $80,000 a year off the top. Yeah, he was, you know, it, thankfully, you know, I truly believe he was the exception more than the rule. Uh, we'd hope certainly yes well you know of, of the nine we saw uh you know there were minor things with some of them but no theft along that lines the exception was uh in in gallatin county uh we did a referral on that one we haven't heard anything that's happened from that one but basically you had a situation where they were doing some of their personal expenses out of it but supposedly they were going to pay it back and they paid some of it back, but they hadn't paid all of it back. But it was interesting when we did that one, the wife actually took the credit card statement uh, that they were using to pay. And she actually went through and marked uh, P and O, P being personal, O being office. So in that particular case, she made it easy. But my favorite one, but my favorite one was the Boyd County. And this wasn't the county attorney. This was the uh, child support enforcement officer. Uh, there in the Boyd County attorney. As I understand it, our auditors just went in. They just said, we want checking accounts. The next day, the child support enforcement officer came with the checking accounts to the county attorney and said, well, I know why they're here. I know why the auditor's here. I've been stealing. Well, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't know she had been stealing. We probably would have figured it out, but we didn't know that she had been stealing. How much did she steal? What was it? When we looked at it, I'm wanting to say about sixty grand. 
How long uh, has she been in office or how long has she been in that role? Well, she had been working for it. Now, we was just for two years. Once again, I, I think others went further back. So in two uh, years, I, she stole 60 grandish. If I remember correctly, I had to have to go back on that one. I'm, I'll have to remember, but it was, oh. it was substantial. It was, you know, substantial. I know why uh, they're I mean, here. I've been stealing. <laughs> and my numbers may be a little bit off in the Boyd County one, uh, but I think it was somewhere in that range. But but anyway, they when they went back or other people went back, because that one, the county attorney turned it over to the state police. And of course, we did additional referrals once we had finished. But now I tell everybody, that was kind of like our Perry Mason moment. You know, we just ask a few questions and she cracks. But <laughs> I told that to one of our new auditors and one of our new auditors uh, ended up telling me that uh, she asked me, she's like, well, who's Perry Mason? So I, I felt real old. You may not know who Perry Mason is. You may be so young as well, but I felt old that somebody didn't know uh, that. Of course, I am the current oldest currently serving constitutional officer in Kentucky by 10 years. So Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, uh, I, I remember that from your speeches around, yes. you know, <laughs> yes. so, um, that's, uh, that's some of the interesting findings you've had. Now you do a audit of the state government as a whole every Correct. year. Um, I know there's been some, some things I think the general public has been shocked to hear from that, but what are, what are some of the findings you've just seen, um, from our state government, just kind of send these actions that have just sure. really, you know, in your opinion, been out of line or absolutely, you know, things you've had to refer and what's going on with those. Sure. Well, as I indicated, the statewide single audit of Kentucky, or what we call the SWAC, uh, we release volume one, volume two each year. And uh, as you and I both know, when uh, current governor Bashir, Andy Bashir, came in, of course, uh, COVID hit and he shut you know, everything down. Well, he didn't shut everything down. He picked and choose winners, as it were, and losers. And uh, so there was a lot of things that happened, especially in that first year, you know, uh, beginning shutting down in March of a lot of businesses. And, and by the way, we appreciate your efforts to stay open in that regards and fight that good fight. Uh, but oh, thank you for the support. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you know, there was there was close to in one week in March, there was close to fifty thousand, a little little under fifty thousand dollars in un, fifty thousand people in unemployment claims, uh, and then the following uh, week, there's about one hundred and thirteen thousand. So you had close to, you know, almost, you know, one hundred and seventy five, two hundred thousand unemployment claims in two weeks. Period. Uh, and the other thing he did, it was terrible. In addition to shutting everything down except your big boxes. Uh, but obviously shut down churches, shut down things that all you and I both disagree with doing any of that. But uh, he also shut down the in-person unemployment offices, which in a time when people desperately needed unemployment, he basically was channeling everything through the phone and online. And that's problematic because you can imagine, you know, a 10 lane highway being narrowed to one or two lanes. You know, you're going to have problems. Well, well so I always thought it was just simply he, I just don't think, I, I was told that yes. the unemployment offices found out that they were going to have lines out the door of people, well, Lord, lines on the phone at the same time we all did. There was no sure. heads up given to them before he came out there. And of course, there's a lot of things going on with unemployment. I know we'll dig more into it, sure. but one of the things that crossed my mind and you as auditor could you you probably know a lot more about what the laws are, but you know the the big slowdown for unemployment, of course, is that uh, the employer has ten days. They a letter gets sent out, and the employer responds to that letter saying whether they approve of the employment or don't approve. I, I think a simple process for employers to say, "Look, I know I'm about to lay off a hundred people or right. ten people." And they can call up to the unemployment office and say, or whether it's an online portal that you could whip up real quick, because this wouldn't be hard, put in your employees' names, their socials, you know, do, maybe do a call with them to prove your identity and, and submit right. your identity documents and say, I'm the business owner, I'm the manager, I'm approved to do this, I have the approval from them, here is a list of social security na uh, numbers and names uh, with what I'm approving that they were getting paid. Um, and so that way, when their claim comes in, you can just auto approve it. You don't right. need to have these 10 day hold up. I always thought that would be an easy, simple, straightforward solution 
to quickly solve it. I don't know if that was against the law or if it's just that because I'm a business owner and I've been through the process before and I immediately could see how to save 10 days of time off every single person. I I, I don't know. Would, would that be a solution that would be worth exploring at that time? It, it would have been. Uh, what they actually did is an effort to get money out as quickly as possible. They put in place what they call auto pay and they put that in place uh, really despite many of the uh, many of the objections uh, long-term uh, you know, Office of Unemployment Insurance people. And one of the reasons they objected was what they were doing off was not only violating federal law and federal statute, but they were also taking key controls off. Uh, so they were just automatically approving claims that came in without yeah, the very, 10 days? Very, very quickly. There were some very minor things that they ran through, but they took off key controls about, like you said, verification to making sure the person that was sending it in was sending in. And there were hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of not necessarily all fraud, but a lot of it, you know, we think a lot of it was fraud, but uh, things that you just couldn't verify. And, and it was so bad. I mean, it was so bad how many that they didn't even know how much unemployment they still owed. When we did it, uh, there's there's a process that when you close out your books, you're supposed to notify the auditors of estimated liabilities. Well, one of the things that they did, they didn't realize they were supposed to do that for us with unemployment, but when they gave us, they gave us so many variants in numbers. I mean, it ranged everywhere from you know, eight or nine million up to 2.08 billion. And we kept going back and saying, no, you forgot to do this. You forgot to do this. You forgot to do this. Well, that was one of the first times that we had to uh, give the annual comprehensive financial report. We couldn't give them a clean audit. You know, we, we had to, to provide them with, you know, an audit that, you know, was less than perfect. Uh, in that regard, you know, standard commentary there. Well, and I, th I think too, as well, an important, I think an important fact for people listening and everybody else to understand is that money isn't federal dollars. It isn't general tax dollars either. Right. Unemployment funds are, are, are paid by the employers yeah. uh, in, in a way, well, directly by the employers what? in a way, kind of the employees, because you're paying a percentage based upon, you know, your payroll size. And there's a lot of other factors. And the regular, and the regular unemployment, that is true. There are right. also, uh, I think it was four different unemployment sets that were created federal dollars. Uh, you know, yeah. There, yes. there was, there, there was what they called the federal pandemic. There, basically you had your, Standard. They had like a three hundred dollar a week kicker. Well, it started out at six. It started out six hundred dollars a week. More money than a lot of people are probably making, <laughs> and a lot of people that more money are making, and more definitely more that they would make on standard unemployment. So you basically right. had your traditional unemployment. You had uh, unemployment for people who had exhausted traditional unemployment. You had unemployment for the first time uh, for people that wouldn't normally fit the the standard. Uh, basically mm -hmm. self-employed, things like that, uh, economy. And then you had the bump, the additional bump, uh, what they call the F. -pump. Well, in Kentucky, I believe, had already weird, yeah. the highest, one of the highest um, maximum amounts you can receive. Right. So, you know, it's a percentage based on what you're being paid, of course. But like Kentucky's was like 600 bucks or something is the max you can receive. Yeah, that, and, that, and that, that was the federal pandemic unemployment compensation mm -hmm. Uh, well, and, and like when you stacked them, though, Kentucky yeah. ended up because other states like Tennessee may limit it to like 300 bucks a week is the most you can receive right. unemployment. Right. And so that stacking Kentucky really got hurt in that way. That's something I think that's just something for people to understand as we're talking about why this mishandling of unemployment is so well. Severe. And it was it was tough in two reasons. One, you had people receiving unemployment that should receive unemployment and you had people that needed unemployment because they were put out of work. A lot of them wasn't getting it. Uh, perfect example. One of the things that we found, you know, we looked at 37 uh, state employees who had applied for unemployment. And we found, I think, if I remember correctly, I think there were 16 of those that, uh, that just of that sample, we don't know, there may be more uh, that were receiving unemployment that weren't supposed to. 10 of those were from the Office of Unemployment Insurance who knew better. And 
that we found 10 that had in front of the office of unemployment insurance, not only applied for it when they were, were not supposed to, they also accessed their own claims, even though they were specifically trained not to access their own claims. In that particular case, we referred that one to the office of attorney general. Were you, are you uh, familiar with Jacqueline Coleman? Lieutenant yes. governor at the time. Yes. 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 The, requesting people to be jumped ahead. Was that something that came up in your audit? That was not actually in the audit itself, uh, but I was familiar with it through other sources where they had done open records requests. And uh, so I am familiar with it. Yes. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. Unfortunately. Um, Anything else you found in your general, uh, you know, we talked a lot about unemployment there. Well, you've seen a lot of. The other thing that I talked about a lot, which is really kind of tragic, uh, there was 400,000 emails that was sent to the unemployment assistant line, really at a time when people needed unemployment, people had concerns about unemployment, and they just archived them. They didn't even bother reading them. Now, when the governor was confronted with those news, that news, he basically indicated that well, he was sure that they weren't 400,000 unique individuals. Well, that may or may not be the case. You could have opened them and figured it out, but... So is 50,000 okay? So is 50,000 okay? Is 100,000 okay? You know, unique individuals. So needless to say, they dropped the ball substantially. But the big thing that they did that really started off poorly was that auto pay because that auto pay caused them to get so far behind and so many things confused and conflated that, you know, I'm not sure they've still recovered yet. Uh, you know, we were finding instances of fraud even in the following years statewide seeing a lot of Kentucky. So there's a lot of work ahead of them. Uh, there's many, many more things than that. And I encourage people to go to auditor.ky.gov and take a look at all our audits, but Definitely look at the uh, last couple of years, the last three years of the statewide single audit. You know, one thing in your audits that's always stood out to me recently um, and in the past sure. is, uh, well, I guess I've noticed it more under the Bashir administration, is the sheer amount of unreported data breaches or yeah. slow reported data breaches where they're not following the law as far as how they're supposed to report that. Um you know, what, what's, what's kind of been going on there? Well, and that one did the, that particular item did show up in that first year's statewide single audit of Kentucky right after the pandemic, the 2020. Uh, and that was one of the things we addressed at that time. There were three data breaches that not only did they not get reported or slow reported, we didn't even find out about them until a month after they occurred. There, there is a law on the books. It was actually put forth by the previous auditor in 2014, I actually voted for it, that if there's a data breach within the government, uh, they're supposed to notify the auditor, the attorney general, a um, couple other uh, agencies, and, and also notify the individuals that it was occurring. Well, there was a breach in the Office of Unemployment Insurance, three separate ones, and uh, they didn't report to us. And actually, the only reason we found out about it is because uh, my understanding is the attorney general's office found out about it, and then the press found out about it. Uh, I don't know if which found out first, but only then and after we called them out, uh, ourselves and the attorney general called them out, did they actually acknowledge that there was in fact a breach. Um, so that was unfortunate and sad. So, so you have a situation, <laughs> you have a few situations here where um, you have individuals accessing their accounts they weren't supposed to. You have... Um, you know, this in this case here, we're talking about data breaches that legally they're supposed to report wasn't being reported. What is the remedy for that? I mean, obviously, you refer to who you refer to. You can't really do anything. I guess, though, what I, I what I see a lot of and hear a lot of is a lot of frustration from individuals that when, you know, you know, when people like me or, or you as a citizen, not as a government worker, but as a sure. citizen, are facing audits from the IRS or things like that. We have fines. We have this. We have that. We get punished when we don't follow the law. True. Um, what What happens when you have a situation like data breaches you're legally required to alert people to and you failed to do? What happens? 
Well, I mean, from from our standpoint, obviously we you you don't you're not enforcement arm. All you well, can do is refer. We, we report on it if it's something that's referable. That particular instance, you know, obviously the attorney general already knew. The others knew. There's not a ton of, of teeth in the law in that regards. But the big thing you do is when the the individual, the elected official comes up next, make sure that they're not there. There, there's probably some there some additional responsibilities as well. But that's the biggest way to clean up the mess is don't reelect them if they can't get the job done. Don't reelect them. Well, absolutely. But of course, one of the ways is knowing about the mess. And we all know sure. how much some of the media and everything, a lot of things get lost, you know, and, yeah. and in that, um, well, and, and, for, and for some of the, you know, the actual criminal, uh, aspects and even some of the others, like there's, we've got individuals over the years that, you know, fail to forward, uh, you know, sales tax and, and for failed to, re, re, uh, forward, now, there are some ramifications of that, too, like people withholding for insurance and, and stuff like that. So we've had some referrals on that to different uh, individuals, uh, you know, the Treasury, the retirement system, things like that. And some of that they will work through and they get resolved. Uh, but, you know, it was always interesting. My One of my predecessors talked about how many people they had put in jail. Well, I always have to tell people the auditor doesn't put anybody in jail. Now, we do referrals that do end up putting people in jail, but we ourselves are not, as you said earlier, we're not a law enforcement or an enforcement agency. We're a reporting agency. So you're closing out your term here. Yep. Um, a new auditor will be coming in, whether that is um, uh, Allison Ball or... Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter who the other person is. Um, <laughs> they're not going to win. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So, you know, probably Allison Ball taking over. Um, what is what is some advice you give? What is the number one thing? Or to citizens that are looking sure. at the auditor's office under a new hand, what should they be looking for out of that auditor's office? What What's the, I guess, what do you think the greatest concern before Kentucky is that the auditor's office has to deal with? Well, I think the things we've had to deal with, you know, especially during my two terms is one, making sure to make sure that we have the staffing that we need. I've been blessed to be, you know, have a, a great team. I consider my family. Uh, we, we were blessed. We actually launched and had for the first time, uh, our first, uh, group of, uh, interns, uh, started this year. So that was very exciting. A lot of energy, a lot of effort. And uh, they just actually finished up. Actually, yesterday, we had a had a, a little barbecue where we celebrated and uh, we had a couple people retiring as well. But uh, it was important for that because it's getting harder and harder. There's not as many people going into the accounting profession. And then by extension, there's not as many available. So anything that we can do to make sure that people see the great work of the auditor's office to see that it's important because we've got to have people hold government accountable. And that includes us too, but you got to have people because if you don't have anybody, I always say one of the biggest uh, findings that we have, a lot of people overlook, it's called a lack of segregation of duties. And that just means that they don't separate each of the duties from receiving the money, creating the deposit. Do it. And, and the story you always get is just, you know, pick any name. You know, Sarah's one of the most honest people, you know, she would never do anything and Sarah probably won't. But if Sarah gets a drug problem or a sick child or something like that, and she can't, uh, or if Sarah doesn't know how to do her job or Sarah doesn't know how to do. Uh, yeah. Her job. I, I mean the, the, some of this training and I, you've seen it is a telephone game. This is how we've always done it or yeah. what have you. And then you walk in, it's just not proper but, process. But, but the point being is if you don't have somebody looking over somebody's shoulders, Mm -hmm. And that temptation comes and the opportunity comes. Well, sometimes, many times they'll succumb to it. So it's important for have us and others uh, to be available. But I would just encourage the new auditor to, you know, uh, to, because I, I feel like we've left the agency better. Uh, you just tell everybody to follow the data, which is, you know, is what we've done. We don't target one. We don't give anybody a pass. We just follow the data. If, if you got a Republican that's got a problem, then refer the Republican. If you got a Democrat, refer the Democrat. If you've got an independent, just just make sure that we continue to keep the, and I know Allison will continue to do that. And we've even put in place uh, making sure that, you know, there's a lot of talk now about ESG. 
uh, environmental social governments. Well, now there's that. not though. There's not because you know they they removed that term. We caught on to the well, term. Yes, if you remember, they yes. came out and they said we're removing that term. Yes. So they're just going to do what they always do, invent a new term. Exactly. <laughs> that means exactly. the same thing. But you but, know. but there but there are processes in place. Right. Now we I mean obviously the auditor's office can't drill down deep, but right. we also processes in place now to confirm whether or not that is something that they are actually looking at to make sure that they're being fiduciaries when it comes to our retirement systems. If there could be one law change or regulation change or what have you that affects the auditor's office and you could snap your fingers and make it happen, what would you want? Would you want to be able to arrest people and prosecute them? Would you want uh, this law change? What would you want? You know, that that's a good, good question. You know, I mean, I thought so much when it came, you know, when I was running for governor, I thought so much about, you know, improving our educational system and, and supporting law enforcement, things like that. And thinking about the auditor's office, we have done, you know, a ton. Uh, what would I change, you know, just automatically? Uh, well, i tell you what I, what I would do. There are, and there's some states that do this. I would have a, a uniform system of reporting seats or receipts and expenditures. Uh, now we have that to a certain degree with the state, but like the counties, there are different ones. I had always wanted uh, what's known is like a continuous audit. So in other words, that, that there is access to the systems. Uh, you know, when I first came in and there may still be, but I'm not aware of it. We actually had individuals that, you know, were still doing all their books manually. Uh, as opposed to on a computer system. Really? And, yeah, yes. And so, matter of fact, it was kind of funny when I first got in, and I don't know if they were, in this particular one, if they were doing it manually, but I first got in, there was a, a sheriff that was complaining to me right before and right after I got elected. And he said, you know, my audit was, and I don't know what it was, but it was just some outrageous amount. And, and I asked our uh, auditors, well, what happened? What's the deal? And they said, well, he basically brought in a shoebox full of receipts and had not, you know, gone through and done his financial statement, done everything. So it's he called know, them keepers. Yes, <laughs> his box yes. of keepers. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Now, now, like, but like in West Virginia, I think they have a uniform uh, reporting. I believe Ohio. I think West Virginia actually gives them. Now, West Virginia auditor is kind of interesting because I had an opportunity to meet with him, and they actually do have law enforcement. Uh, and they're actually op operate like the comptroller too, which is kind of strange. Uh, so, you know, from the standpoint of, of my standpoint, that would probably be the big thing, have a uniform reporting system. It would probably make it. And we've done some things too, you know, from the standpoint, as on my way out, we've been able to, and I've fought for this for seven years and it's just now coming to fruition. We're going to make sure that, that uh, all our auditors have a data analytic uh, software where they can look at really every transaction as opposed to, you know, auditing basically deals primarily with sampling. Right. Uh, and, and so with this new software uh, that some of the other states are using, we'll have a greater, that doesn't mean that we won't have cases where we just do sampling, but it will give us the opportunity if we want to look at all transactions and try to see if there's any flags or variances. Uh, so I think this is going to hopefully put us even a leap ahead in the future. Turning to the governor's election, yes. um, obviously we've got uh, Cameron coming out of the primary running against yep. uh, Bashir. I don't think you've been quiet about your support for Cameron. Oh, um, very much. You're, you're out there actively campaigning for him. You know, having audited the Bashir administration and looking and also too, you've I'm sure audited parts of the Cameron office as you've gone through it as well um from your standpoint your neat unique experience uh why is it that you're supporting cameron against Bashir? well cameron stands for everything that i stand for not just because he is a republican i mean that's a, a good factor because you know when you sign on to run for governor you pledge that you're going to support the republican platforms and of course you know republicans are, are pro-life we're you know, supposed to be for smaller government, but you know, Dan, Daniel's just a, he's a man of faith. 
Uh, he's a man of character. He wants to make sure that uh, our law enforcement, uh, you know, that we cherish our law enforcement, that we work to make sure that we have safety. And, you know, and we also want to make sure that uh, our kids are protected. Let our kids be kids. You know, quit robbing them of their innocence. I mean, the thing that blows my mind most about Bashir is Bashir vetoing, you know, Senate Bill 150, which is protecting our kids. I call it, you know, protecting our kids bill. I mean, back in my day, I would have, we would have never thought about the possibility of, of injecting our kids, you know, full of hormones and, you know, doing surgeries that are irreversible. I mean, can I, can I, um, this is a little, it's little off what I was planning on doing. Sure. Um, but I want to see here. Can I play you a video? Sure. From um, this is from Louisville. They're having a hearing okay. in uh, Jefferson County Public Schools about okay. Senate Bill One Hundred and Fifty. Yes. And I don't want to tell you too much, but this okay. is like a thirty-second video. Okay. Um, and I want to play it for you here and get. Uh, your reaction, like I said, this is coming out of pretty much nowhere <laughs> um, on you. So let's see. This here. is just like Fox News. You got to be ready for anything. I know, right? Here yeah. we go. My pronouns are they, them. I will be going into fourth grade at Goldsmith Elementary School. I live in District 3. Today, I would like to talk to you about trans rights, and I think that everyone should have a choice on how to be themselves. And I think I, I, and I need your help. I want my teachers to respect my pronouns and let me be who I really am. All right, so um, I wanted to show that to you and right. get uh, your reaction. So we were talking about. Senate Bill 150, talking about protecting right. kids. Right. Um, there you've got a child who, um, I don't know if you caught what he said at the beginning there, but his pronouns sure. are they, them. They, them. Right. Um, he's going into fourth grade. Um, it was a little quick there because he actually said his name in the testimony, but I cut his name out, you know, Very good. in order before I sh shared the That's video. Cool. Sure. Um, and so, and, and, and so he's saying Senate Bill 150 is awful. Just, it's not right. respecting me. And, and, we hear that a lot, you know, us conservatives when we're out there and, and they say that, oh, you're being mean and awful. What do you say to this third going into fourth grader and his or hers or this person's, I couldn't tell if it was a boy or girl, um, <laughs> you know, what their yeah. biological gender was from that video. But um, what do you tell to this child's parents um, that feels that, they're, they want to go by they, them pronouns. They want to use different bathrooms in their biological sex. They feel like they're not being respected and that we're all super duper mean and awful for how we're treating them. Well, I, I, I feel sad for the individual because, you know, their childhood, their innocence has been robbed. You know, they didn't come up with that of their own. You know, someone has guided them, whether it's at school or whether it's elsewhere, someone has got them that people just, kids just don't come up with it. I don't know, a perfect example is, you know, it's a little different, but a perfect example is, you know, people always talk about how, you know, we, not me, but talk about, you know, kids don't need to have guns. And when I say gun, toy guns and stuff like that. Uh, but if you don't let a kid have a toy gun, especially a boy, uh, they're going to figure out, have a stick or their finger or, or, you know, or something like that and make it like a gun. Uh, so I just, you could, you could tell that this individual had been coached uh, in that regards. And now they probably believe that. And that's unfortunate. Why rob the children of their innocence? Let kids be kids. Let's get back to teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic and not worry. And why should we, you know, I've heard, Daniel Cameron said time and time again, you know, Jason Glasscock, or now soon to be former commission, educational commissioner, uh, you know, had said at one time that if teachers don't want to, you know, teach the pronouns, then they need to find another job. And Daniel Cameron has said, well, really, Jason Glasscock and Andy Bashir need to find a new job. So the good thing about Senate Bill 150, and I've had other, you know, teachers and, and 
individuals in education thank us for it because it also provides protection from them from the bullying of people like Jason Glasscock. Do you um so you see that the the Bashir campaign is right. obviously running away from his very liberal tendencies, um, which is that. I know, right? <laughs> it is it is surprising to see them run away from surgeries, but in the same hand, run into you know hormones and puberty blockers with open arms, ignoring the fact that you know the data says that in the general population in America, not Kentucky, but in America, general population. This includes you know your 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 super super liberal areas like California, New York, that about. 65 to 70% of Americans disagree with giving children under the age of uh, 16 hormones or puberty blockers. Um, now, if you move to Kentucky, I'm sure that number would be significantly higher. Um, you know, so, so you see somebody who like Bashir, who has such radical viewpoints on these items that doesn't align with Kentucky values, clearly. Why do you think he is in the polls, at least? I'm not saying he is, but in the polls, he's still polling with such higher approval rating and he's neck and neck or uh, he's even slightly above Cameron in the polling right now. Why, why do you think that is, despite he quite clearly holds viewpoints that the vast, vast majority of Kentuckians do not agree with? Well, part of the problem is is that, you know, it's just part of society from the standpoint of most people are not like political junkies like you and I. Most people are getting up, going to work, trying to take care of their family, and the only thing they see is an occasional blip on the news. And if all you do, especially if you're just watching local news or if you're watching whether CNN, MSN, you know, whatever, MSNBC or whatever, uh, you know, not everybody watches Fox in Kentucky, believe it or not, or, or you know, or any of the others. Well, even know. if they watch uh, Fox, they still, I mean, to your point, they're not talking about Kentucky issues. They're, they're not, not talking, talking about, about Kentucky issues, so. you know, very, yeah. very rarely. So from a standpoint, people only see the one side of it. And it's really only until the election. I mean, let's just face it. Not everybody follows politics. I still, to this day, I have people that are supportive of me that I've had, one of two things. One, they didn't know that I was running because, you know, they were supporting me in other areas. And, and two, I had one person like two weeks after the election, I heard them over tell, you know, I said hi to them and everything. And I started to walk in and I overheard him tell, uh, I guess it was his girlfriend or wife or something, that's going to be our next governor. And it's like, you know, so people just aren't plugged in. Like, maybe maybe they just think this year is going to win and then you run and get in four years. I'm just, <laughs> well, I'm just well, kidding. I'm you know, just kidding. You know, we, we, we've got to get Daniel elected because yeah. I don't, I mean, we'll survive, but we're not going to survive mm -hmm. well if, uh, you know, uh, Governor Bashir gets elected again. And and one, one of the other things that I was going to say, just jumping back just for a second in regards to audit, sure. I mean, this is, this is like the dynasty because one of our audits we had when I, you know, when I was first in, you know, look back into, you know, Steve Bashir's administration in Kentucky Wired and his former finance cabinet secretary basically with one signature took us from a $30 million investment with Kentucky Wired to a $1.5 billion investment and is still bleeding out. Well, uh, and it's, and it's, and it was a horrible. Invest, don't even get me started about Kentucky Wired. Sorry, I, I mean, but, but geez, oh, Pete, for the cost of, of, of what we have left to pay, we could buy every household in Kentucky a Starlink system that costs $550 initial setup, and then it's like $80 a month, normal internet price, yeah. and you get broadband speeds, and they could all have internet tomorrow. Yeah. They could all have internet tomorrow. But yeah. instead, we have to build the hardwire that has now is old technology because it costs us more to leave that darn contract than it does for us to complete I know, it. I know. And, and you know, and, and if we, you know, technically, technically we don't have to pay those bonds, but if we don't and we default, then it runs our credit rating. And all that was done with one finance cabinet under Steve Bashir's signature. So, 
didn't mean to get stirred up, but it was important to talk about the stirred up. (laughs) It's important to talk about the dynasty that it is the Bashirs, and it's important to remind people that neither one of them were that great for Kentucky. They have set us back. We could be so far ahead if it wasn't. You can blame Steve Bashir for a lot of our pension problems. Exactly. I mean that that goes without saying, and 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 well, I think that's because. Like I said, I mean, he's concerned about the next. And I don't think people understand the the amount of communication he doesn't have. Like, I'm sure, you know, having worked under Bevan and that communicative relationship you had with the governor's office compared to now, I'm sure it's vastly, vastly different. Well, um, it, it, it's vastly different. And even though Steve Bashir had extreme problems, we talked about Kentucky Wire being one of them. Uh, he was actually much more he communicated with the general assembly much more than Andy Bashir did. Yeah. Cuz you worked with him in the general assembly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and that is one thing too as well is that I mean, I don't know, you probably didn't catch it and um you know, I just did an episode on it where the cabinet for health and family services uh what's his name? Friedman or Friedshire, what Eric. He uh you know, they've got this issue going on with kids sleeping on the floors of offices and the committee, the interim joint committee or interim statutory committee or what have you, that's overseeing the county for health and family services. um, They were in front of, and they were literally like, how long has this been going on? They're like, we've been tracking it a year. So it's been going on over a year that children have been sleeping in these offices and they go, okay, what do you need to fix it? And he had nothing. They're they're like, do you need money? No, he never. He didn't ask for money. He didn't have a plan. He didn't have a solution. His literal plan was just continue to let them sleep in offices. He didn't even ask for a, a law change. He didn't ask for yeah. a new facility be built. He didn't ask for monetary. I, I it just blew my mind. Well, do you know like, what how the, incompetent are you? Do you know what's even sadder in that regards? Is I don't know if you remember a few years back. They wanted to take away the contract from Sunrise Children's Home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the thing about it is what people don't realize is that, yes, they have their own, you know, religious guidelines on how they're going to operate their business and they should be protected. But the thing about it is what they never talk about, not Sunrise, but what the cabinet never talks about is Sunrise Children's Home delivers the same and better services at two-thirds the cost of what they can than any of their other providers. And the reason that is, is because we do. Sunrise does have lots of donations. I mean, it used to be the Baptist Children's Home, uh, Mm -hmm. but they have certain criteria that they have to follow and the people that work for them have to follow. uh, And the the people that get hurt, if they had, you know, it took all of us pushing to get them to make sure they followed the law and they actually did the contract. But, But it would have been the kids that got hurt even more than, and you know, we'd had more kids sleeping in a building. Well, and and I think that's, if I have to say, people ask me, what's, what's your greatest complaint you have with the Bashir administration? I go right to how he treats children. Oh yeah. When you look at, he shut down the schools, casting them back. I mean, years and years and years behind. Um, caused skyrocketing suicidality amongst children, being out of schools, drug use, uh, uh, certainly amongst our youth, let alone you know high school students too as well. Overdose deaths uh, that caused a large amount of um, you know, and then taking away from their community events, their sport outings. I mean, you couldn't play baseball. You couldn't go play baseball outside. Do you remember he took his kid? Uh, to play travel ball out of state while other sports were being shut down. And he yeah. came under uh, a lot of flack for that because he's taking his kid to sports. He was shutting down. Anyways, uh, I'm getting started now. But uh, point is, is, is you have that. You have then his, his general behavior towards, and, and I think you hit upon it, these children that think they're born the wrong gender. What I mean, that is gender dysmorphia. It, it is a mental illness. And to, to say, you know how we're going to treat that, We're going to give you drugs and chop off body parts. I mean, I can't think of anything more cruel. And now you take Sunrise, you take what's going on now with uh, Academy for Health and Family Services. 
go to the juvenile detention centers I wanna... where he's storing male and female uh, juveniles together and resulted in violent rapes. I mean, it's just, it's out of control when you look at his track record on children. I know. I know. Sorry, you got me going again. No, no, no. That's, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity because it's, you know, it, it's, it's sad. And we, and that's the other reason you, but we got into this because you asked me why Daniel Cameron should be governor. And that's why Daniel Cameron should be governor because we've got to have people in place to stop that. And, and Daniel's got a, you know, a good history at the attorney general's office of putting good people uh, in place. And he will do the same, I believe. Uh, and certainly there couldn't be any worse than what we have with uh, Bashir, but Daniel will do a great job. I've had an opportunity to know Daniel and had an opportunity to know Mackenzie and their son, Theodore. And I'll tell you two quick stories sure. uh, in regards to Daniel. On the campaign trail, my wife uh, ended up having a, a thyroid tumor. Thankfully, it wasn't cancer, and uh, she had to have an operation to have it removed. Daniel and, and, uh, and Mackenzie found out about it. I get a text from Daniel just out of the blue. Uh, what's your address? What's your favorite soup? And I was like, okay, you want my physical address or my melon? And so I got that to him and, and soup just appeared out of nowhere, soup and some rolls and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and so I, I saw him at Fancy Farm after that. I said, man, you know, Lynn and I, we appreciate the soup you and Mackenzie had and the scent and everything. Uh, and, and then I jokingly told him, I said, but I don't know if I appreciate you trying to win my wife's vote with soup. Uh, <laughs> and then the, and then the, the other thing that they did was, uh, sometimes as a candidate, you know, you, you, you know, this, your yeah. spouse has to go speak on your behalf. Well, Lynn was in Pikeville and Daniel Cameron happened to be in Pikeville as well. I was, I think I was in, uh, uh, I was in another County that night. And then uh, I get a text from Daniel with pictures of Lynn, and he said, hey, man, your wife did exceptional. So that's just the type of character. Even though we were opponents, right? you know, they were still very kind to us. I had this experience with Cameron on the campaign trail that really struck me. And I don't know. It's just odd things that struck me, right? But it was, I don't know. I think we were a few, few weeks out from Christmas. And I had told him how I was planning on cooking a uh, brisket. I don't know how we got on the conversation. We were talking about Christmas plans or Thanksgiving plans or what have you. And I was talking about how I was going to cook a brisket by digging a hole in the backyard and then lighting coals and then burying, you know, the, the brisket in the ground yeah. and doing like a five, six hour, seven hour slow smoke in the ground. And it was like February. So it was like two, three months after this happened. And he just randomly, I'm just walking past him and goes, Hey, Andrew, how'd that brisket turn out? And I'm like, I don't know why it just struck me that he remembered it, but yeah. it just, I think it's because you and me both know, like we meet when you're on the campaign trail, you're meeting literally hundreds of people a day, um, right. you know, shaking hands, you know, working the food lines, doing all these things, going around, meeting a lot of people. And the fact that he remembered Oh, yeah. That I buried a brisket in my backyard. I don't know. That just really struck me. I don't know why, but yeah. it's a strange different things, you know? Well, he's, he's got a good heart and he's a good man. And, you know, so we, we need to get him elected, you know? So one, one more question for you and we'll end sure. on this. Okay. So you were in the house for quite some time. 13 um, years. 13 yep. years. A last yep. eight years as auditor. Are yeah. you are you retiring or are you do you think you're going to stay in politics? Do you think think you're going to go private? What, what is in the future for Mr. Harmon here? Are we going to see your name on a ballot again? What's what? Are well, you, you know, sadly, Mr. Harmon passed away a few years ago. But my now <laughs> my dad, my dad always said similar. Uh, but now, you know, Mike is, you know, in life, sometimes God tells us to go. And that's why I ran for governor. And sometimes he tells us to be still and listen. And right now we're in the being still and listen. So, you know, I don't know, you know, if, uh, you know, when Daniel wins, uh, if there will be anything there in that regards, if there is, I would be humbly uh, would love to uh, serve in his administration. Uh, there may be other opportunities. And, and if it's not politics at all, then I'm sure God will 
call me into something uh, else. But, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I had uh, I had somebody ask me the other day, they said, Mike, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. God's been really good. God's been really good to me. I said, but it does feel weird. Uh, you know, uh, for the first time in 21 years, when I finish this term, I will not be an elected official. Now, I'm not defined by my elected office. I'm defined by my personal relationship with Christ. Uh, but it's just a weird feeling. You know, it's just a really weird feeling. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, anytime it. you want to come on again, just reach out to me. Um, oh. Obviously, you know, I reached out to you here. But if you want to come yeah. on again, you got something you want to talk about, uh, reach out to me. Thank you for joining us um, here today. Perfect. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. You take care. Thanks. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today. Thank you all so much for joining us. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of The Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>